0: You're listening to the Going Offsides Podcast. Your home for lacrosse news, stories, and everything in between. So today we've got a special guest today, and uh, it is a... You're you're a certified NFL agent, if I'm not mistaken. And it's pretty cool for us because we've been talking about a lot of things on the NIL side and... And just, you know, as a sport management professor, I've been teaching about sports agency lately. So this is kind of a, a cool time to be doing this. So we're we're joined today by Freddie Berry and uh, Freddie, thank, thank you so much for being a part of this.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah, no problem. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from, where you went to college and maybe, you know, what you're doing right now.
1: Yeah. So. Um, from a little small county called Powhatan, Virginia. If you look on the map of Powhatan, it actually looks like an arrow, um, and so that's where I'm from. And played football my whole life, starting off six years old. So it's always been something that's been just near and dear to my heart. Um, growing up, I played basketball and ran track as well, but football was always my first love. And played running back and cornerback. And after that, in high school, I went on to play at Hampton-Sydney College, which is a small D3 school in Virginia, but it was close to home. I'm a homebody, so (laughs) it was close to home. I had a lot of friends that were going there as well, and we just knew we had a great chance to have something special together and win. And luckily, we did. So went on to win three conference championships, um, most winning class in school history, and also was lucky enough and blessed to break the 40-yard record uh, dash or the 40-yard dash record there. I ran a 4.38. 3 eight.
0: And okay. so
1: With all those, like, accolades and stuff, um, and I was a starter at the cornerback position for three years, and so with all those accolades, I had the opportunity to try out for some NFL teams or at least go to some combines and mm-hmm. um, also some CFL combines as well. Okay. I was lucky enough to make to the next level. I'm have an opportunity to go overseas and do some stuff. But like I said earlier, I'm a homebody and <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do that. And the, the paychecks you get doing that, it was, at least for me, I was uh, better off just staying home with my family and working, using my degree. So that's go. what I did. Um, and I have a degree, bachelor's in government. Okay. And so after I decided, well, my next level isn't going to happen. I need to figure out what I'm going to do with this government degree. So started looking for jobs and got into the nonprofit field, um, working on different types of causes having to do with the criminal justice, women's rights, environmental justice, stuff like that. And that stuff is extremely important in the world. Um, don't get me wrong; it's extremely important, especially in this this day of age. But Like I said, football is my near and dear to my heart. That's my, that's my number one passion. And so I'd be sitting at home thinking, man, what am I going to do? Like, this isn't really what I want to do right now. So I actually switched from my government job to something else. In the meantime, uh, working in the healthcare field and same thing. I was like, man, uh, this isn't it either. (laughs) This isn't it either. Yeah. So I was coaching high school as well, which was feeding that itch a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, but it was the high school level i was a varsity coach for football just assistant coach and then um, assistant jv and varsity basketball as well but like i said it just it wasn't getting it to me so yeah. i was like Man, i need to step my game up <laughs> so i decided well let me look and see what it would be like to be a sports agent i thought about it when i was coming out of uh, hampton sydney college mm-hmm. get my, my bachelor's but I never really dig deep into it because the opportunity at the time I would have had to go to Arizona. And again, I'm a homebody. I'm not right. going anywhere. So I was like, I'm uh-uh, not doing that. So I started to look some stuff up and I was like, man, you got to have your master's like, that's new so I was like well I would have to go back to school um so I was like well let me look that up so I looked it up and it was literally just like our early weekend March man of 2020 I just looked up the process and I decided to apply at Liberty University um it's a pretty popular school right now they have a quarterback out there that's pretty good yeah and the team's doing pretty well with Hugh Freeze there but um I decided, well, let me go there and get my master's. It was in sports marketing and media. So the timeline was set where I had to knock it out in a year in order for me to hurry up and be an NFL agent, just the way that the process works. And so I started, I applied in March, 2020. I started in March, 2020. And by March, 2021, I had completed my master's in sports marketing and media. Uh, So that was (laughs) the first step of, okay, let me begin this process of being an NFL agent. And so once I finished uh, in March of 2021, I knew NIL was coming out in July 2021. So I was like, well, I have this master in sports marketing media, which is right along the lines of NIL. And I was like, it's also helped me get in earlier with NFL guys uh, or potential NFL clients. Right. Because obviously with that type of contract stuff, you can't sign anyone until their la- after their last game. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll be able to get in a little bit earlier and I'll be using my master's degree. And so once I figured out NIL was coming, I just did a lot of studying, um, did a lot of networking. And from that point, July 1 hit and I started rocking and rolling.
0: So is the majority of your business then as of right now on the NIL side or is it as representing people as like professionals as an agent?
1: So right now, because I just started, it is solely NIL, but I am a newly licensed NFL agent. So this will be my first draft cycle as a NFL agent. Um, But I, throughout my master's program, last draft cycle, I also interned with a sports agent in the local area as well. So I got a lot of good experience having to do with NFL contracts and the whole draft process.
0: That's very cool. And it's very interesting. So you, I mean, you're really thrown right into the thick of it. So let's dive into the NIL stuff first, because I think that's, that's why I think a lot of the listeners and readers will, will relate to, because it is a lot of, you know, high schoolers and college kids. So, you know, I have to explain, you know, I, I have athletes in all my classes and they always ask, how do I get an NIL deal? And I was like, well, to be honest with you, you're at a very, you know, I teach an NAI institution. I was like, you're at a very small institution. So unless you have a massive social media following that I don't know about, (laughs) you're not, you're not super attractive to a potential sponsor. Now there's always people out there that might surprise you, but in general, that that's kind of the, the reality of it is that a few exceptional people will benefit a lot from this. And then there is another level where like some people can get some scraps. Um, and then there's the, the barstool athletes that are getting t-shirts and and all that stuff. And I'm sure you have some opinions about that. So um, is that the experience that you've had so far that it is kind of, you know, the quarterbacks and the star basketball players or, you know, like in the inst- for instance, you know, out at Oregon, star volleyball and softball players that have massive TikTok followings that are able to cash in on this?
1: So in my experience, it's been all over the place, man. And it's been all over the place because it's new to agents who've been in the business for 20 plus years, right. it's new To companies who've been in marketing for 50 years. So it's new to everyone. And it's been Brent, it's been something that's ranges everywhere. So I'll put it this way. You mentioned the barstool athlete. Mm-hmm. That is just something that the company I'm assuming have no ties, but from just outside perspective, it just looks as if they be like, Oh yeah. nil. L let's jump into it. And we're going to just try to get our brand out there as much right. as possible. However many athletes will have barstool athlete in there by let's do it. Um, but to your point it's not something that athletes should always jump into themselves either Mm -hmm. and so just because brands are offering this free product and stuff like that you don't always want to be the first one at the party I say Um, and because it is so new I, I think it's very important for athletes to realize okay What is my value? What value do I bring to the brands? Because if I can communicate my value to the brand, then that is going to have them more likely to want to partner with me. And so I think that's something that athletes should just figure out or do a little digging on their social media um, engagement, how many followers they have, and stuff like that. Or is it something that, okay, I might not have a lot of followers, but I have a lot of connections um, in my community. Okay, um, It might be something that might not be so national, but more local, or it could be something where it's like, okay, I might not have a lot of followers, but I also know I'm about to get drafted. And that is going to enhance my brand, but also enhance the brand of uh, those companies that want to kind of tag along with me throughout that process.
0: And, and you're hundred percent right. And I think that we've seen a lot of people, Devalue their own brand too early on, or not understand that they are a brand and that they have a brand. And they're just, they just want to grab whatever they can real quick. And you know what? For some people, that's totally fine because there are those people that are small college athletes that will never go pro and they're going to grab that case of energy drinks and they're going to grab that free t shirt and the the free pizza. And you know what? Good on you. You're allowed to do that now. And and that's great. And I think the whole legislation was not to like make things equal. It was just to say, all right, you can, you can now benefit from who you are as a person and all that stuff. And it won't be equal still, but at least you have a shot. Like anybody, it's just like regular business. You know, you're not all going to become rich, but you have a chance to be rich and, and make some money. So, so great. Good on you. Yeah. yeah I, I think there's a lot of misinformation about what you can and cannot do. I, I wrote an article about it last week and, From the sports agency side, I am curious about this and, you know, you may not have even dealt with it yet, but you might know how it works. If you represent a college or a high school athlete with their NIL dealings, is there a weird gray area then if they're going to become a professional athlete?
1: Yeah. So you are not allowed, you are not allowed to tell a potential client that or a current client that because I represent you for marketing, you have to go with me for professional. Um, that is against all rules and regulations having to do with NIL and also um, the league contracts as well, mm-hmm. or representation contracts. So I wouldn't say it's a gray area. It's a very black and white
0: area. <laughs> yeah,
1: You cannot do that. Um, right. But- I guess
0: it's gray in the, in the terms of like policing that would be very difficult to do
1: yeah it is it is and so i'll bring up two examples of that Um, one is there are a lot of the larger brands who will capture higher profile athletes that are potentially going to the next level just for marketing just so they will have that relationship with them um, throughout that point there i see guys who are first-round draft picks who are with high agencies that have maybe two or three deals And that is inexcusable, if you ask me, Uh, especially if you're that high of a level, I think that's Mm. inexcusable. But that just shows the agency just wants to grab you for that bigger check on the on the back end. Right. Um, And so to that point, another example is, I've had a person who or athlete I was recruiting tell me that, oh, I've already verbally committed to this agent. Um, And so that is something that is a big no. You can't necessarily verbally commit, even if it is not something you should be telling. And Mm -hmm. that's also an issue I have with agents in the industry is taking advantage of those athletes, but also not educating them on the process that'll jeopardize their eligibility, but also jeopardize your professionalism as an agent.
0: Okay. Very, very interesting. All of it's so interesting to me because like I said, this is all new, like for the people listening that don't really understand that this is literally not even 12 months old and nope. people are still figuring it out as they go. Um, so let's talk about some of these firms then in, in the sports agency world, because, you know, I don't know if a lot of the younger people will know, but, you know, you you have your CAA, you have your, your IMG, your Octagon, all that stuff. What is the benefit, in your opinion, to working with, you know, I don't want to say a private, but like a smaller firm?
1: Yeah. So what they the term they like to use is a, a boutique agency. Boutique. OK. I just like to say a local agency or mm-hmm. some along those lines. But that's basically what they I see other small agencies say. But to your point, the the advantages are. The advantages are big business versus big business and good business versus local business and business that is more personable. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, yeah. So with, with larger variants, you're going to be—it's like cattle. You're just going to be a name or a number. Um, but having a smaller agency represent you is going to be more personable because that person or agent likely isn't going to have 70 plus clients mm-hmm. and there's also a business model that bigger agencies uh, do that small agencies can't afford to do. And that has to do with financials and the way they spend their money and stuff like that, that I won't get too deep into, <laughs> but just the, the business model also um, kind of leaves guys out to dry in some cases, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah. It leaves agents out to dry in some cases um, and also you know, athletes, focus on there are bigger agencies out there, but focus on the agent that you're specifically dealing with um, their experience because brands Walmart is always going to be Walmart, no matter who the agency is. I mean, no matter who the manager is, you know what I'm saying? So like those larger brands, the agents might turn in and out in and out, but the brand is going to stay the same. So they will be pitching the brand, but that's not their work or their experience. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so it, it is, it is quite common for, now, you know, there's the marketing side of all this, which you're dealing with heavily right now with the NIL stuff. And then there is the contract negotiation, all that stuff that a pro athlete would deal with. And it is quite common for, for agents to have a background in law or a law degree. And if they don't, such as yourself, it is quite common to, to work with lawyers or have partners like that. So what is your personal take on that? I know right now you don't have to deal with it as much until you start getting these bigger clients and you move from NIL into the, the professional representation side. So uh, w- what's, what's your personal situation with that? And um, yeah, I guess that, that's, that's my question.
1: Yeah, you're right, man. You are exactly right. Um, there's been a big notion since The CBA started in 1993 or the NFL CBA started in 1993 that you have to be a lawyer to be an agent Um, and that just goes with the history of how the CBA started and representation in general but nowadays it's it's a shift it's starting to be a shift that I think a lot of people like myself are pushing and letting athletes know um, you don't have to go with an agent that's a that's a lawyer One, the CBA, and we're talking about NFL contracts, um, but, and even marketing, even marketing. Mm -hmm. When you go to, okay, I'll separate, sorry, because I don't want to cover my. Yeah, no, it's all right. You you can go to law school for, and have to do with marketing, stuff like that, but when it comes to NFL contracts, there's no government class or law class that is going to specifically talk about NFL. Um, Right. I've done a lot of classes throughout my education career and I've yet to see it. If someone else has, then feel free to contact me and let me know. But I've never gone through a class that has to do with governmental law and they talk about NFL contracts. The only thing that has to do with NFL contracts is that thick CBA that they make you study when you're about to prepare for the exam. And then that also has to do with like the salary cap and stuff like that. Um, And so to your point of having to be a lawyer, there's no connection with law and CBA besides the aspect of a contract in general and then negotiations, but that same skills, those same skills can be applied in other business aspects like marketing Hmm. or, or sales. And so there's not necessarily this, Oh, I have to have a lawyer because they have a law degree. Um, right. That's nothing to do with con- that NFL contract. Yeah. If, a, if a lawyer who's focused key on like mergers and acquisitions or marketing or something having to do like that, then OK, maybe. But still, you don't have to have a law degree because um, I will put my sports marketing and media masters in skills up against any person who's a lawyer that doesn't necessarily have those marketing and sports skills, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're right. At the end of the day, the legal training and the legal, the, the JD is strictly beneficial from a contract perspective, just yeah. understanding the, the, leg, the legality of everything. That doesn't yeah. mean that they're going to be a good agent on the marketing side. So no sure are they going to make sure that you're not getting screwed in your contract yes but that's about it so you need people that are multi multi multi-talented so yeah uh, yeah, and especially i mean for for people that don't know there are caps to the fees that you can make as a as a lawyer representing a pro player but there's no cap on the marketing revenue that you can bring in so but i
1: mean states are starting to put in laws because of on nil they're starting to put in laws that cap how much you can get which is pretty unique
0: and and so i gen, i genuinely don't know is that more based on the amateur level or is that also on the professional level
1: i believe it's more geared towards nil so only okay. um, because
0: i was going to say that wouldn't really make sense at the pro level right but at the yeah. amateur level i guess it could protect people a little bit so i wouldn't be surprised by that Uh, especially because they don't know what they're doing right now anyway. So like, they're just trying to figure it out as they go.
1: Yeah. And to your point about the lawyer versus sports marketing expert too, is if you are lawyers and I'm not a lawyer, but knowing a couple and also, uh, you know, I've always been into that type of field. I was a government major, so I've always been in that field, but literally a lawyer just wants to go in, negotiate, talk and leave. Um, they don't yeah. necessarily want to do that gritty work that sports marketing actually takes because you have to develop proposals. You have mm-hmm. to know uh, relationships and do research on the companies. And that takes time. Mm-hmm. And lawyers don't want to do that work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a difference between a lawyer that spends a lot of time learning how to market and, and do all that stuff versus someone that is a marketing specialist that definitely has a lawyer on call yeah. To, to take a, take a look over everything at the, on the end of it. So yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I just wanted to, the people to understand the differences there because you know, I, I just taught about all of this. So it was kind of convenient, but also I don't think people really know how all this works. Like I don't think people know that there's a cap to how much agents make on these, on these pro contracts. And really sure. If you have a Tiger Woods contract or a, or a LeBron James contract, that 3% is, is more than enough.
1: Cause yeah. of the volume,
0: but the marketing dollars, you know, 15, 30%, the, the, the margins you can make are so much higher on that. So, uh, I, I do want to dip back to NIL a little bit and kind of get some advice from you. I mean, I wrote an article about what you can and cannot do. You know, you, you can't really benefit from your university or your high school's logos, mascots, all that stuff. You, you can't do a lot of your NIL stuff during team activities or anything like that. And that's the that's the surface level stuff. But what are some big things that you've seen that people don't understand about NIL in general, and maybe some misconceptions about what people think that this means versus what it actually means?
1: Yeah. So uh, what people think that it means is that, and this is athletes and these are outsiders who are just looking in, not necessarily in the sports world or living the everyday life, but they, a lot of them assume, oh yeah, now I can make all of this money off of my name, image and likeness. And it's not like that. Um, a lot of it is, to your point, a lot of athletes aren't just that valuable to brands and it's new for those brands. And it started in July one, which that leaves brands uh, six months of a budget to try to put in something new that they didn't budget for at the beginning of the year. And so I can see where at the January, once people are starting January 2022, when brands are starting to incorporate this into their budgets, it'll jump up a little bit more. But for right now, there aren't a lot of brands just throwing mm. dollars at um, college athletes because they don't have the budget for it. They didn't plan for it. Mm. Um, and so when, uh, when a player thinks, oh, I'm not going to do this deal because they only want to offer me free product or because they only want to give me a promo code and I get commission, like that's right. not worth it. Well, would you rather have nothing or would you have a little bit of piece of the pie and then build a relationship? So once that brand does have a bigger budget, they realize, oh, yeah, he is valuable. Let us now pay him more or give him his actual value. Uh, And it also starts with athletes who have zero marketing exposure on their social media pages or zero marketing experience. So if the athlete doesn't show or have on his page that he has partnerships, what really makes you think a brain is going to come in and just pay you dollars when you right. have zero experience?
0: 100%. Um, so yep. it's
1: those like misconceptions that I think need to happen on the athlete or need to be debunked on the athlete. end, and I guess, you know, fans as well, who are against NIL thinking athletes just going to take all this money, but also think from the brand aspect, I've seen a lot of them are just trying to do these one off deals. And so they'll tell a player, Oh yeah, do this one post for this one commission or for this one stipend, but, that's not how marketing works, if you ask right. me. Like, you don't see a commercial one time and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get that. Or, oh, yeah, that person uses that. Like, that's not how it works. It needs to be more of a long-term thing. Um, and whether it can be a three-month trial and then come back to the table and negotiate, whatever it may be. But I don't think it needs to just be, oh, yeah, we're going to pay X amount to 50 athletes for them to do this one post. Um, I, if you ask me, that's a bad use of their dollars.
0: Absolutely. Do you think then you brought up the the marketing budgets from these corporations? Do you think there will be a shift um, internally within those corporations to move some of those dollars away from their, their very expensive pro athlete campaigns to more of the amateur campaign? Because I'm thinking about it and I'm like, well, if I'm a, if I'm a national brand, I can hire a college athlete for a fraction of the cost in each individual market and where they'll have a bigger play than my pro athlete that only everyone knows who this person is but they only play in California. Yeah. And so do, do you do you see a possible shift there instead of instead of creating a new marketing budget just funneling siphoning off a little bit of that.
1: I could see that happening but it would have to be a 2 to 3 year period if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'll- we say that because a lot of those contracts with professional athletes are two, three mm-hmm. or five year deals. And so it would take a lot for them to maneuver that budget, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least take away from those other athletes. But I could definitely see where and I think it'd be a very smart strategy because that brand would be able to target in a larger geographics yeah. than what they would having just Steph right. Curry.
0: Yeah, and they could infiltrate a little deeper if it's like here's yeah. here's Mr. Ohio Basketball. Okay, people yeah. in Ohio know that person for basketball.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I also think when, when it comes to professional athletes, um, a lot of people just know, oh yeah, that's LeBron, or oh yeah, you know that's the, that. you know whoever it is, that's Patrick Mahomes. They're just doing that commercial, but it doesn't right. necessarily entice them to go get the product or use that service because. To them, it's like that person is so much at a higher level than me that like it's not relatable. Yeah, plus we
0: have a we have an understanding now that these people are getting paid yeah. handsome sums of money. They're not they may or may not use the product. So yeah. it's not, yeah. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, do you think it actually do you think I go to a certain football stadium because of who who's the the sponsor of the stadium? No, I don't care. I don't care which bank it is, I'm going to my bank. Yep. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I do have a question, though, because if I'm not mistaken, NIL says that you or the, the current legislation kind of says that you can't really entice people to come to your program based on any promise of NIL benefits. However, we've seen some several college teams now where one big company or, or donor has come in and said, hey, well. Anybody that plays for this program this year is getting $500. So how do those two things not immediately contradict with each other? Because now you you have this assumption that if I go to that school, that very may well be my deal next year as well.
1: So I first want to kudos to every college and every agent who has worked on a deal having to do with that, because that is the next wave. Mm -hmm. It is. And the way you're saying, how does that happen? How is it? Well, it's simply because if I am a alumni at Alabama, I'm just throwing a school out there um, because it's a well known school. If I'm a donor of Alabama, but I am the marketing director for whatever company, um, Alabama can't tell me what I can do with my marketing budget. So that has no relation on, oh, yeah, it's only – like you can't say the athlete is only for Alabama. I mean, you can't say, oh, you can't give it to him because he's with Alabama. Like you have no control over my marketing budget. Right. And because the, the company exclusively says I'm only going to do Alabama players, you also, as a college, have no say over – my targeting if that makes sense if I'm targeting solely people in Alabama that's what I would say as a brand I'm only targeting people in Alabama right now so I'm only getting Alabama players I'm only targeting football athletes or young people who are uh, in the demographics of liking football so I'm only doing deals with football athletes right now okay that's the way around it and if you ask me I believe that um, schools should be taking advantage of that and even partnering with those companies in some way or manner figuring out a way to get their athletes in front of those uh those brands and companies who are willing to do that because two things will happen one um the booster will get frustrated <laughs> if the colleges stop it because they're like i'm trying to help you out mm-hmm. and it'll also make it where Schools will say, well, you're giving the athletes money and not necessarily the school. Okay, maybe, but you're also going to get the benefits out of on the back end if you're using it properly recruiting wise and getting the best athletes to come to your school. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I, I guess I guess I just have a pro- problem with how it's written then because like it's clearly a benefit like to the recruiting process, right? It clearly <laughs> is. And they say that it's not supposed to be, but it is anyway. So that, that's really where I was coming from is maybe it's poorly written because there's no way that these legal marketing deals don't, when they're implemented in that fashion, don't impact recruiting. So that, that's where I was at. I, I just, they, no. clearly, they clearly overlap there, but no. I, I understand there's a, the legal side of it. And then there's the optics because the optics show Alabama or you know Florida AM or whoever just signed that deal mm-hmm. they can get that deal if they go to that school <laughs> like so good I mean good on them good on the school like I'm not blaming anybody for doing that yeah, I just yeah. think that the, the way that it's written is a little bit confusing then because right clearly if I'm a head football coach I'm going out and I'm going to market my players for for NIL so yeah that's just that's strange but something that can be worked on now now the barstool thing is interesting because i made a point right when this happened and as far as we know these kids are getting t-shirts and maybe i mean he joked around that if you need food money like just let me know and i'll send you 10 bucks for a pizza but i brought up the the conflict of interest there that and people accused me of hating nil which is not the point i i don't hate the nil uh But a sport, a company that operates a sports book, should not be sponsoring college athletes. Period. And so that was my point. And I got called a hater and all these things because, you know, I I hate that kids are getting a T-shirt and all this stuff. I'm like, here's the thing though, that's a slippery slope, right? It starts with a T-shirt, and then then ends up with somebody at barstool saying, "Hey, if you hit the under, I'll throw an extra five k your way this month." And all of a sudden, it's a very big problem. So. I, I do you also see an issue with some any any corporation that operates a sports book involved in college athletics because as you know by now as a college coach in the NCAA even for golf technically I'm not allowed to gamble on college football so yeah. do you also see kind of an issue in in that space
1: for sure since day one I've advised athletes to not put Barstool Athlete in their bio. Till this day, I continue to advise, and I don't have anything against Barstool at all.
0: Um, 100%.
1: My job is to protect the athletes that I work with and that I hope to work with in the future, and athletes who also are in the space who don't have representation, who would be jeopardizing their eligibility in in certain cases um, with Barstool. And so I totally agree with you. I do not think athletes should go that route, especially if it's just for a t-shirt.
0: Well, that goes back to undervaluing your brand in the beginning. So
1: it's just a (laughs)
0: t-shirt. But it's their favorite podcast.
1: (laughs) It's literally just a t-shirt. And so, I don't get it. Um, I don't understand it. Athletes are continuing to do it. Barstool's hey, end. it's
0: excellent marketing on, on Barstool's end. But it is. It's it is. Mis, mis, misinformed college athletes. So. Yeah,
1: and I also always advise athletes or agents who represent athletes, before you before you get in bed with a, a, a brand, be sure to like check their background a little bit. See what they're into in a sense of, business background. Um, And I don't want to say necessarily personal stuff, but Mm -hmm. if you have personal causes or values, um, just make sure that the other person on the other side, their personal values align with yours as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I I guess the big takeaways here for for any student athlete that's listening or prospective student athlete is think long and hard before you, you accept any deal obviously run that deal through by somebody that knows more than you do about the stuff, such as an agent or a marketing specialist and uh, make sure you don't devalue your own brand because I mean, that's, that's you, that's you, that you represent. Uh, Freddie, thank you so much for, for all of your insight and all the information and uh, you know, I look forward to having you on in the future.
1: Oh yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
0: If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, give us a review, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at goingoffsides.